Hello, welcome back, everyone. Today on the podcast, we have Ethan Sullivan, who is the Senior Associate Dean of Undergraduate Programs in the Carroll School of Management, or as it is called here at BC, CSOM. Thanks for joining us, Ethan. Great. Thank you, Tucker. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So to start out with, Ethan, we would love to just hear a little bit more about your story, how you got to BC, and to tell us a little bit about the work that you do now. Great. Thanks. So I first got to BC actually in 1990. I went here as an undergrad, graduated in 1994 with degrees in English and philosophy, uh, a whole lot of best friends and some great stories. So 1994 was a pretty bad job market. Plus I was fairly undecided what I wanted to do with my life. So I decided to do a gap year of sorts and, and entered the Jesuit volunteer corps in Bend, Oregon. Uh, it was probably the best decision of my life for many reasons. But after my year in Bend, I ended up moving to Portland. I got a job in sales and marketing at a microbrewery, which led me to moving on to be a brewer there for a few years, um, which was fantastic experience, but, but not a career, mm -hmm. right? So four years later, it was time for me to transition again. I, I recruited one of my college roommates to drive cross country with me. And uh, one of the themes of our trip is what the heck are we going to do with our lives? <laughs> we were 25 or 26 years old at the time and, and, you know, moving on to career number two now, or maybe career number three for me, actually. Uh, but I'll never forget passing through Missoula, Montana. And I made us do a detour so that I could check out the University of Montana. And my friend was, was so upset that I was detouring us again. Um, and he said to me, there you go again. You know, that's what you should do with your effing life. Get a job at an effing college. <laughs> uh, and for me, it was like a, a light bulb moment, right? Because I never really thought of this uh, as an option. So, you know, long story short, we finished our drive. I, I moved to New York City to be with my girlfriend who was starting grad school. And I began to network and research jobs in universities and uh, through some BC connections, actually. I landed a job at New York University. I did my graduate work there. Moved to Boston now in 2000 to start a job at, at BU. And then I came back to BC in 2001 to, to work in first year experience. I briefly left for a job at Harvard. Um, and then I came back to BC in 2008. And I've been at the Carroll School ever since. First as an assistant dean who oversaw the Portico program, among other things. And, and now as the senior associate dean for the undergraduate program. Wow. Well, one, I think just in that response is just like a great example for BC students or any college student to be like, when you graduate college and even Tucker, like I think back to just the mini conversation we had before this, there's no like linear path no. necessarily. You're, you were kind of all over the place, you know, but there was so much goodness in that too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's never a straight line, right? Which is something I think a lot of college students, as you said, think I'm going to do my planning. It's going to be this linear path, hopefully sloping up and you know, the sloping up hopefully can happen for people, but it's always a squiggly line. Yeah. Anyone you talk to, uh, as much as you plan and it's good to plan, I'm not saying it's not good to plan, but there's always serendipity. Yeah. There's always circumstance. There's always opportunity and there's always setbacks mm -hmm. and, and you have to manage all of that. Yeah. As you put things together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious as I was hearing all, yeah, that squiggly line that you're talking about. If you can point to a thread that maybe ties all of those experiences together, like when you look back on all the experiences that you've been through, is there a piece of each of those that have kind of 
yeah, tied everything together? Yeah, great question. I, I think that if there is a threat, it's something that I learned in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, mm -hmm. and that's how to live an intentional life, mm -hmm. right? The JVC, one of the JVC mottos is you'll be ruined for life. And, and they mean it in a good way, right? <laughs> that sounds like a good thing, but, but really I think what they mean is you'll never be able to just to default to a simple, easy life. You'll always be reflective. You'll always be intentional. Mm. And those are some of the tools I picked up. So, you, you know, I, I've, I guess along the way, I've never settled, right? I've always thought of, of, um, you know, what am I called to be? If I stop learning in a job or stop growing in a job, it's time to move. It's time to change. And I think that comes from that JVC experience of like learning how to live an intentional life. Yeah. And from watching friends do JVC, yeah. there's, a, you know, that volunteer component, of That's course. Right. And you're also living in community with people too, yes. right? Yes. What was that experience like for you? Yeah. The community experience was, was great. Um, but probably the best part, right? It's one of the four pillars of the JBC, uh, it's simple living, it's community and it's, um, simplicity, mm -hmm. right? Living a simple life as well. But I think the the dictionary would probably say that, uh, you know, a community is just a group of people living mm -hmm. in this space, living in the same place, having some characteristics in common, um, or it might say that it's a feeling of fellowship with others, right? As a result of sharing common interests, attitudes, or, or goals, that's kind of what the dictionary might say about community. But uh, so, you know, some of these communities are about places and spaces, the BC community, the CSOM community, right? Um, and others, you know, are, are about feelings, right? I think that's where the work of community really is in that latter part. I've, I've heard it said that the former, the spaces and the places, that's the community, that's the home for our bodies, right? And the latter, the feelings, right? They're the communities that are the homes of our hearts and souls. And I think that's the work of communities. That's where the work of communities is done. Uh, so I think therefore that communities ultimately are about a sense of belonging, mm. right? That's really what the best communities are, is a sense of belonging. And I mean, along your pathway, I'm picking up different communities that you've been a part of, which is cool to hear too because when we talked to megan sweeney she kind of talked about community in a similar way of like being part of multiple communities mm -hmm. authentically moving through communities and not necessarily having to like be part of be part of a community for a long time to get something out of it or to contribute to it mm -hmm. so jbc was one um you talked about being in portland oregon in the brewery yeah. and becoming a brewer um and then you had a couple of stops on the way BC, FYE, or New York maybe was before that. That's right. Can you tell us about maybe some like lessons or important characteristics of these communities along the way that have helped you shape who you are right now? Yeah. Well, I think that if I look at the communities that I was a part of, there was the, the, the place in the space, right? When I was in grad school at NYU, um, I hung out with a lot of other grad students in the program at NYU because geographically that's where we work. Yeah. But I think more importantly, uh, we had this, this commonality, this common experience, and that's where we built the community from. Mm. And similarly, when I look at JBC and I look at my housemates, right? My community, there were people that I never would have bumped into. Probably there were people I never would have chosen to room with in college, uh, but because of this lived experience that we had, and especially because we lived it in an intentional way, they became 
probably one of the strongest communities I've ever been a part of. So, so maybe another thread is intentionality again, mm-hmm. right? That keeps coming back to us, but, but maybe that's the threat. But I think it's also the experiences, the shared experiences yeah. that you move through other members. I'm hearing you talk about that intentionality, that belonging fellowship. Um, and I'm also interested in this idea that you talked about in terms of feelings and how the feelings are, are sort of the work of community. So when you reflect back on the various communities you've moved through, the various spaces, can you describe a little bit more about what those feelings were in those communities? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the feelings probably tie in best to that sense of belonging that I was talking about. So, you know, it's, it's, um, I think everybody, we've got this kind of human nature that we want to be known and we want to be cared for, Mm. right? I think everybody shares that experience. So to some extent, I think it's that idea of of being known that we all long for. Um, and that's maybe the place where it starts for me. Yeah. What was that? What, when you enter a community that, okay. The time you spend entering into a community and then when you have to say goodbye to them. Yeah. How do you see that process being facilitated of coming to feel like you belong, coming to make others feel like they belong? Yeah. Knowing too that there is an end point to, or perhaps knowing that there's an end point to your participation in that community. Yeah. You know, great question, Prania. I don't think I ever thought of the end point Mm. and maybe that's a good thing. Mm. Um, but, but I always knew that some of these experiences were transient, that the, the geography of it had an end point, but maybe the relationship part of it didn't. But, but I think how to start that community in all of them, I would say the element that was there was storytelling mm. and, and vulnerability. Yeah. Right. It's so great to get to know people, to hear their stories, to share your stories and, and you know, the stronger the, the strongest communities I've been in are ones that the storytelling has been most small, that you're really caring for others through that and getting to know others. Yeah. So, so that's probably what I would point to storytelling and vulnerability. That's yeah. I love that. I read a lot of Brene Brown and I don't know, I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she's like the vulnerability guru. Yeah. But in, there is something to be said about like vulnerability as allowing yourself to be affected by other people too. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there has to be some sort of willingness there for people to enter into community, especially if it's an intentional community. Um, What would you say like that's part of it too? I think so. I think so. I mean, it has to be a psychologically safe space. Sure. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, vulnerability isn't something maybe you do in minute one. Yeah. But, but it's, it's grown and it is through trust and somebody takes a risk. And somebody else reciprocates and people realize, oh, I can trust these people. Mm. This is a safe space. And therefore it becomes that community that we're longing for. Yeah. I'm glad that we touched on that because that was going to be my question is one thing that I wrestle with is trying to, trying to sort of parse out is this vulnerability, is it a function of the space? So for example, the Jesuit volunteer Corps mm-hmm. is that you know, was vulnerability built into that space and people who who come into that space are more maybe primed or ready to be vulnerable, to be open? Or is vulnerability something that is brought on an individual level? Um, so I, I guess 
maybe another way of, of asking this question is to think about sort of the macro and the micro and the macro space, like having vulnerability built into the macro space versus individuals bringing that vulnerability into the space. Yeah. And I'm wondering where that, where you see that distinction and if, if that is something you, you notice in your time in those spaces. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, and I think there's definitely some distinctions to be made. I mean, there, let's get real. There are some environments that just aren't good incubators for vulnerability, right? Maybe they're not the safest of spaces and people have to be aware of that and, and probably not, you know, bear their soul in some of these environments, but those are probably the places we wouldn't refer to mm. when we're talking about community, mm. right? They might just be jobs. Mm. They might just be workplaces. They might just be classes. Uh, they might just be groups, but they might not be communities. Mm. So I think maybe that's the distinction there, that that a, a community has that mm. of vulnerability and trust and shared experience. Um, you know, transcending the shared experience in a way that we might have the same job, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that idea of transcending the shared experience, I think, is a is a really is a really good distinction there. Yeah, yeah. I want to get us to Boston College. You spent yeah. a lot of time here as an undergrad. Took some time off, then came back. Um, and I also want to talk about where to go to eventually. But sure. thinking about BC, maybe specifically, what are some lessons about community? that you learned as an undergrad, mm -hmm. how are they different, the same now as kind of somebody on the other end of things? You're not a student, but you're kind of, you worked in FYE yeah. and now you're working at CSOM. How have things changed, stayed the same for you? Yeah. So things have changed quite a bit. I would say I, I don't, and partly probably it was me and, and my lack of awareness. Mm. Partly, I think it was just BC. Uh, but when I was here, you didn't hear about people talking in the same way they talk now. Uh. And, and, you know, maybe I'll tell a quick story about my interaction with a consultant yeah. years ago. Consultant was doing some work, came in and they said, it's part of my work at universities. I talked to a lot of people at the university and I asked them all the same question. What is the soul of this place? And she reflected to me that at Boston college, everybody said the same basic things, mm -hmm. right? They don't only say the same things, but they really articulated on what they meant. Wow. And, you know, it was things like pure personnelists, men and women for others, ever to excel. Mm. And they weren't just slogans or phrases or words on a wall. They were things that people really lived and, and understood. And that probably wasn't, or at least I wasn't aware of that as much in the early 90s. But um, but I think now if you if you were to pull people, they would probably have that same sense. Yeah. So I think BC has done a really good job of saying, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And this is how and where you can do it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that maybe is, well, not maybe, I think a lot of that has to do with, with the Jesuit identity at Boston college. Yeah. And that's where it probably separates itself from some of the other places that I've worked. I've worked mm -hmm. at great universities and they've all had strong senses of community in their, in their own ways. But at BC, I think that, that that essence um, that we just discussed, it really cuts across everyone, students, yeah. faculty, staff, grad students, undergrads, janitors. We, we all have that same idea. Um, it reminds me a little bit of when, when JFK went down to Cape Canaveral when they were starting off the Apollo project and he was touring the facility 
and he bumped into a janitor and he said, striking up just some small talk, he said, oh, hi, you know, what's your name? What do you do here? And the janitor looked at him with a straight face and said, President Kennedy, I'm here to put a man on the moon. Um, and, you know, that I think gets to mission and what we're all about. You know, we all kind of do our jobs. We all have our roles, but we're all here, you know, in this community. Yeah. In the same community. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of, even back to Tucker's question of his distinction between micro and macro, but vulnerability. But yeah, I didn't think of it in this way until you're talking, but these mottos that we have of BC, this mission that we have is almost like community being baked into the institution in some sort of way. I think and so. it's asking for our participation in that on multiple levels, because I think we have this wide BC community here, but then you have, you know, different groups of faculty members or different offices on campus, different student groups yeah. that are playing out these mottos and this call to participation in different ways. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think it is a very Jesuit thing, the idea of community. So to, to, to know that it is kind of baked into the place, I think is, is an important thing and, a, and really a distinctive feature of, of BC and other schools like BC. Yeah. San Ignatius, the founder of, of the Jesuits, probably wouldn't have used the word community. Mm. When he formed the Jesuits, he called them a company. Oh, and as a dean at a business school, I love that. <laughs> I love that he called it that. Um, but, you know, he called it a company. And if you think of the word company, the Latin roots, it means together with bread. Um, and that was the idea of the merchants around his time. They would gather together and they would make their arrangements and their trades, usually around a shared experience or a meal, mm. right? And so I think that's a really interesting way to think about community, that, that it is, you know, oftentimes about breaking bread, not, mm -hmm. not just kind of literally, but, but, you know, the breaking bread in almost the religious sense of coming together to, to celebrate a Eucharist of sorts. Yeah. 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 yeah like a communion. Yeah. 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 And that also reminds me of this idea of like transcending the shared experience. So people, yeah. you know, coming together, but then there's that aspect of breaking bread we're sharing experiences vulnerabilities together and you know that's one of the things that i love about bc is seeing the the mottos that people you know talk about baked into the communities that have formed here and and when i say communities that have formed here i mean a lot of like micro communities so offices faculty student groups um and how in their own unique way are sort of bringing in those vulnerabilities, those, those mottos that are sort of part of, of the institution. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting at the, at the Carroll school, a lot of these, what we're calling micro communities, I think of as some of the academies or student organizations mm -hmm. and through the years, they've all kind of developed these similar processes or principles that they all, you know, some of them called families, but, but basically it's, it's this idea of giving back. And I think it comes from the men and women, other men and women for others side of BC, but also the care personnel. I mean, these groups, they all have a mentoring component, mm. right? So the, the, when you get to be the senior in the club, your job is to give back to yeah. the first and second year students. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I think at a lot of finance academies or finance student organizations around the country, they might not have that same feeling mm. to them. There might be a job prep or an interview prep side of it, but it's not as heartfelt, right? Here, it's like people are called to do that yeah. because, well, it's been done for them, um, but because they're a part of a community, that, and that's their role in the community, get back and to be people for and with others. Yeah. yeah. 
So I hear you saying like the Jesuit values this piece, men and women for men and women for others, cure personalis, ever to excel. They leave like a distinctive mark, not only on BC, but the Carroll School of Management too. Yes. And the way that you teach and build these ethical business leaders when they leave Boston College. Yes. You've pointed out some of the mentorship that happens within CSOM. Um, what are some other ways that you find that these ideals or like how you've defined community is really like embedded in CSOM education, in the culture there? Sure. And then maybe even what are some areas of growth too? Great question for you. I think maybe now is a good time to talk about Portico. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is probably, um, well, it's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question. And maybe I'll briefly tell the Portico origin Please. story because it's a, it's an interesting one. And it started about 15 years ago now when, when Andy Boynton, our dean, uh, was recruited to be the dean at, at Boston College. And he had actually been an undergrad at BC mm. and the Carroll School as well. And when he was doing his interviewing and his research, he said, it looked very similar to my experience in the late seventies. Mm. Not a whole lot had changed. It felt like the curriculum felt like just a collection of courses that you had to check out the box, move through and graduate. So when he was, before he was even here, he got in touch with my predecessor, the undergrad dean at the time, Richard Keeley. Fantastic guy. I've learned a lot from him and said, we need to come up with a big ideas course for students in the first year that really builds a sense of community, but ties the, the curriculum together and makes students think down yeah, right in a rigorous way. So what they did was they formed two teams and there were teams of faculty from all across the university. There are theologians and theater professors, history professors, and business professors. And uh, they were tasked with coming up with this big ideas course in the yeah. first year. And one of the teams actually built the prototype that became Fortico. Wow. And interestingly, the first thing they did before they talked about content or logistics or anything, they talked about the name of the course mm -hmm. and they named it Portico. And, uh, Portico was named that way. I mean, it was borrowed from architecture and art, right? It's an entryway. A Portico is, is the entryway to a building. And so in a way, Portico became that entryway, that, that first point of entry for students, um, to explore, to, 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 you know, the entry point to the study of business and, um, you know, to the Carroll school in general. So that's kind of where Portico started. I, I have heard porticos said for the last seven years and I did not know that that's what it meant, but that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was thinking while you, while you were talking about the idea of, of encouraging students to think big, to think broad, mm. it also made me think back to what you were talking about earlier about like living an intentional life. And I, I wonder if intentionality is a piece of that thinking big, thinking broad, um, thinking about the impact or mark that you're going to make on the world when you graduate here um, and the way in which that intentionality feeds in. So maybe not less of a question and more, more of just an observation that I noticed well, or a comparison that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm making in my own mind when, when you were sort of giving your, um, the origin story there, but yeah, the idea of Portico as an entryway. And then I also wonder how that that looks on the back end too, like an entryway into a career, entryway into 
life after BC. Um, and I'm wondering if that is part of conversations that you're having throughout the course. It is, it is, it's, um, it's not only an entryway to, to BC and the study of business, but to all those things, Tucker, that you just mentioned. Um, I, I mean, I, I like to think of Portico as the introduction to business, but the introduction to business as an ethical practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the work and study of business can kind of get a bad rap sometimes and often deservedly so, but at its root, it is that ethical practice, mm-hmm. right? It's those merchants coming together to, to break bread. Yeah. Um, so Portico, it's, it's a rigorous academic experience, but it also is that entry point, uh, the, 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 you know, the entry point to studying business, to BC, to the Carroll school, to the rest of their lives, as you say. So I don't know if it's, I mean, thinking, right. You use the word thinking to describe the intentionality. I, I think that thinking is a part of it, but I think the type of thinking we're talking about here is reflection. Mm-hmm. And, and so that I, I think what leads to that intentionality that we're talking about is reflecting on these. And then again, borrowing from the Jesuit paradigm that we have experiences, we have reflections that lead to action, mm-hmm. right? That's the Jesuit educational paradigm. And so Portico all along tries to be that too, right? You're going to have these academic experiences. You're going to reflect upon them and hopefully then you'll be called to some sort of action. Yeah. I think the, um, the interdisciplinary approach that you all took to forming this course is also really fascinating Yeah, because I mean, even I had friends who went through CSOM to Portico when we were researching yourself and the Portico program, listening to videos and things like that, there was philosophy and theology like mm-hmm. being spoken about. Will you talk about like that decision to make it such an interdisciplinary process? And it wasn't like, I don't know, when I think of business, I think of math and like communication mm-hmm. skills. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily think of philosophy and theology embedded in it. Right, right. You know, that's a great point. So one of the things that, that we talk about a lot at the Carroll School with our students is this idea of becoming a T-shaped person. Mm-hmm. And um, it's borrowed from or stolen from the <laughs> corporation that when they interview prospective employees, they, they try to test out if they're T-shaped thinkers and T-shaped people. What they mean is they mean they want people who can think broadly and think deeply, mm-hmm. right? So there's the, the bar on the top, that horizontal line of the T, that's thinking broadly. Yeah. And then that vertical line in the T, that's being able to go deep in some areas. And, and really you need, that's why, you know, the liberal arts foundation at BC, it's so important to us at the girls. We're not a business school. That's just going to be accounting math, you know, all the way. Right. Uh, Students will take half of their classes in the liberal arts. Mm. So we wanted to set that context right in the beginning. Yeah. So Portico is in the freshman year. We ended up hiring our original full board of faculty. Um, mostly came from the philosophy department is that right here at boston college and and we've continued to hire people from that as needed so you know it brings our our richness into it and i think it sets up the course as a course of critical inquiry Mm. and reflection yeah you know that that needs to needs to happen such a great context i think for the study of business at bc yeah and like critical thinking skills I hear to like uh, developing that wide, that top of the T-bar of like yeah. introducing multiple topics so that you have the critical thinking skills yeah. to even go deeper. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's part of a, a developmental process, right? As an incoming college student, you know, you, you're maybe still owning some of those, well, we all are throughout life, but developmentally their world is kind of black and white, right and wrong. Yeah. Still yeah. in a lot of ways. So, you know, they enter thinking that something like capitalism, it's either right or it's wrong. Mm. Right. Um, something, you know, like, like welfare systems are right or they're wrong. And I think what we do really well in Portico is introduce students to these big ideas of capitalism and globalization and economic development and, and innovation and entrepreneurship as things that, that are neither right or wrong, mm. but all have their tensions. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, statistically capitalism has raised the standard of living better than any other structure throughout the history of humankind. Capitalism's, you know, 250 years old. Um, so a, a, a blip on the map of, of kind of humankind, but it's created more wealth than any other structure in history. However, capitalism might also be attributed to this gap between rich and poor, mm. not only in our country, but in the world. Yeah. The divide is, is wider than it's ever been at any point in history as well. That's a paradox that we have to wrestle with. That's a tension that we have to figure out. Yeah. That, that capitalism has this potential to be a vehicle for social change, a lot of good. Um, but we have to think about what that looks like. Yeah. And so, you know, the entire semester is really wrestling with tensions. And I think wrestling with tensions is a way to develop as a critical thinker. Yeah. yeah. That leads us perfectly into your question, Tucker. And I selfishly want to make the point of like, I love that, the holding mm. of tension, because, um, like, I think it's Carl Jung who says, like, the paradox is one of our greatest, like, spiritual tools that we have, because life, in a sense, I believe, is paradox. Like, there is not necessarily a black and white to all of this. It's being able to sit within that tension and, like, kind of suffer through it in some sort of way to find... I think Ignatian ta Ignatius talks about like the third way kind of thing. Like mm -hmm. it's not this side, it's not this side, but it's what happens when it comes together. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I, I mean, Freddie has heard, heard me talk his ear off about this, but I'm, I'm taking a class right now on dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a yeah. type of behavioral therapy that is also so focused on dialectics and mm -hmm. things that are seemingly opposite and paradoxical, um, and figure out a way to wrestle with both of them exists that both things can be true and uh getting through them so so it it makes me think this like yeah this idea of tension i think is so fascinating and is such a good way to to maybe reach uh reach these transcending of, of the shared experiences that we've talked about reach that intentionality when you start to reflect on those yeah. on those tensions yeah and so I guess with, with all of that, that tension as, as, as good context, I'm curious about the tensions that you've noticed in Seesaw, um, and maybe some steps that you've taken to start to resolve those. Sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a number of things come to mind. I think uh, one of the tensions is something I hear from students a lot, which is, you know, what should I do? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think I should get a job in finance, but I don't know if I like it, right? The tension that we hear, the way the students phrase it, I think is great. I want to do well and do good. Uh, and, and how do I do that? It's that both and yeah, yeah. dialect yeah. that you're talking about. 
So, you know, that's a real tension. So some students are maybe picking careers for the wrong reasons, they think, um, but what are the right reasons? And so that's a real tension that they have to wrestle with. And I'm not there, my, my, our, the team that I work with, we're not there to tell students what to do, but more so to just hold up a mirror and ask some questions to, to try to get them to see, you know, that, that, that there are tensions in all of this, that, you know, that, that going to work as an investment banker might be the best way to be that both and thinker that they want to be. Um, or it might not be the fit, but they have to, they have to learn and discover that. So that's a big tension. I think what comes along with that tension is making sure that students are aware that there's non-traditional paths mm. that you can enter from the Carroll School of Management. Not everyone needs to be a finance major. Not everyone needs to be an investment banker or a management consultant. Yeah. Right. There are lots of other great opportunities and you need to think about fit, not just about paycheck. I mean, that will, that will come, right? If, if you're successful, you'll be comfortable. Um, but you know, people are being much more intentional about meaning and purpose mm -hmm. and especially meaning and purpose in work. So we've seen students much more actively asking those questions and not just falling into a default, but saying, you know, is this giving me the purpose that I'm looking for? Um, and, and how so? So that's definitely a tension. I, I think that's there. That's always there. Um, and, and it is just part of that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think personally that going to BC undergrad, not being in CSAM, I, I found kind of those tensions in other areas of campus too. And ha that being a very powerful pathway for me of people holding that mirror up, because I think I came to college thinking that it was going to be like a career preparatory, like kind of thing. And like, I came in as a biology pre-med person, like thought that I was going to be a medical doctor and really, I think, tried to dodge all of those mirrors at first that people were trying to hold up to me because it was like, no, like this is what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. And then now I'm studying social work and theology and I yeah. never would have imagined that. Yeah. And it's because of, I think, those mirrors that people held up to me. Mm -hmm. I imagine that holding those mirrors is hard work um, on your end too, and even as professors, and probably something that you were very intentional about in building the Portico course, mm -hmm. and even perhaps other courses through CSOM. Mm -hmm. So how do you personally, how do you, maybe you can speak to some of your colleagues in CSOM too, how do you cultivate that community that allows people to be vulnerable, allows people to be intentional, while you're holding up that mirror to them, because I personally, there was a lot of fear in facing that mirror. And I imagine other students are experiencing that fear too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something we talk about a lot because in some cases our work can become transactional. Mm. Should I drop this course or not? Um, what should I declare as my major? And, you know, it's almost like we're going to have this 15 minute conversation and, and figure it out. But I think our, our thought is that every student who walks into our door, some for the first time, some that we know very well, they're whole people. Mm. And again, that cure of personalis becomes yeah. part of our work and important, an important kind of order of the day for us when we do the work that we do. So, you know, holding up that mirror is just really about asking good questions. And listen. Mm. I, I think that's really the work that we do is, is, you know, it, and it's not easy work. It's, 
not easy to ask good questions. I would tell students all the time, you think you have all the answers and that's great. But what you need to learn how to do is ask better questions. Yeah. So, you know, we try to ask questions to get students, you know, figuring things out about themselves and not everyone wants to go there and that's fine. But, you know, a lot of students do want to have a, a safe space to be able to talk about the questions that they have and, and the struggles that they have. And, you know, and, and just to realize they're not alone. Mm. Like we're all going through these similar questions. Yeah. I think that, you know, at, at BC, this predates Instagram, but it's such an Instagram thing <laughs> that, that BC students think everyone else has it figured out except for them. Yeah. Right. It looks like everybody else has this perfect life. Everything's perfectly figured out except for me. Yeah. And that creates a lot of anxiety. I'm sure. Right. Um, so I think just offering students opportunities to see that they're, they're where they're supposed to be if they're asking the right questions and questions, question asking in of itself, I think is vulnerable too, because there's this admittance that I don't know Mm -hmm. something. And there's also like this connection piece of it too, like. I almost like need your answer. I need your to impact me in some sort of way and change me in some sort of way that I think makes it very vulnerable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's for us is trying to try not to just be simply a transactional experience. When you talk about these asking good questions, listening, um, as sort of functions of maintaining and cultivating that community, Mm -hmm. where did you learn that? (laughs) Great question. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the experience yeah. to some extent plays a hand in it. I think some people are just more naturally empathetic than others. Um, but you know, I also think that it's from watching others, mm-hmm. right? So being open to, to finding some people that you're like, oh, that's who I want to be when I grow up mm-hmm. and then watching them and, and talking to them and listening to them, I think is key. Um, reading. I, I think, you know, to, to find some good authors and people to read and, and to be a lifelong student is important. So, you know, when you're in a program that's happening, right, you talked about Tucker, that great class that you're taking, but you know, at one point you get the degree, but that doesn't mean you should turn in your library card, right? Mm-hmm. You need to keep learning and, and reading um, and growing that way too. So just that idea of being a lifelong learner, I think. Mm-hmm always keeps you curious and curious people ask questions and listen to the answers. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a great note to think about the idea of, we've talked a lot about Jesuit values today. And I think one of the ones that I know is, um, a core part of Portico and, and Seesaw is the idea of be attentive, be reflective and be loving. Um, and it sounds like maybe holding up mirrors and encouraging students to ask good questions, to train themselves with an empathetic ear, to seek out other people to learn from are maybe some of the tools or skills that students can use to continue living out those Jesuit values of be attentive, be reflective, be loving. Mm -hmm. Are there other skills that come to mind for you about how students can continue carrying out those values after they graduate? Yeah, I think the best one kind of aligns with the be reflective component. And that's the Jesuit exam. 
right? Students have lots of opportunities at BC to participate in that, but we've built it into Portico. So once a week, students in the Portico program are starting class with a couple of minutes of, of the Jesuit exam, right? And, you know, we have different versions of that, but in general, it's starting with gratitude. What are we grateful for? And then it's, it's lifting our horizons. And what we mean by that is like, what are the goals we have on the horizon? And what are our goals for this semester um, or for this week? Right. And then let's lift those up and look at them. What barriers have gotten in the way of those goals mm-hmm. and what's helped us towards those goals? People, years, you know, whatever it may be. So we reflect on that a bit. Um, and, and then I've added this, this, this self-affirmation component to it, because I think, you know, students are part of themselves. Yeah. And just to remind themselves that they're good and they're, they're doing, they're doing well. So, so to give them some some pat on the back and some self-affirmation, I ended there, which is not typical of the Jesuit examine, but I think it's a, it's a, it's a good thing to do. Yeah. So, you know, students will do this and usually they'll, they'll keep a log within a journal of it. And then at the end of the semester, some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us have them write a final reflection paper, Mm. which reflects upon their reflections. And I think this is not done too often. A lot of our, a lot of our examines that we do or journaling that we do, um, kind of lives in isolation. Mm. So now at the end of the semester, students have to open up their journals or their notebooks or their laptops and look at their 15 weeks of examines. That's cool. And pull out any themes that came from it. And, you know, it's, it's always cool to hear the students say like, I didn't realize it at the time, but I kept, I kept being grateful towards these same three people uh-huh. and I need to let them know yeah. how important they are. Right. Or it was the same behaviors that always got in my way of my goals. And, you know, now I look back and I'm like, duh, you know, <laughs> but I think it, it's almost that like meta reflection yeah. that they were called to do. So reflection in general, I think is a tool, right? It's a, it's a skill, it's a tool, and it's something that we can fairly ease build into our, our routines. Yeah. I wrote meta reflection down too, even before you said it. And I, it's almost like holding the mirror to like yourself sometimes yeah. too, of like, yeah. Ooh, looking back and what have I learned from my own self? You know, um, I've constantly, I love to read also. And so, and I've been in, um, spiritual direction, like through the STM kind of thing. And, um, (laughs) each week I would go and like have a new like quote. And I think I quote things to Tucker all the time too. Here, (laughs) And (laughs) something that I've actively tried to work on is put it in your own words, stop using other people's words, figure out what it means for yourself. And I think in a way that meta reflection resonates with me because I see that it, it doing that of like, somebody's held the mirror up to you for so long and asked you the questions and now reverse the mirror figure out what it truly does mean for you and what kind of takeaways have you had that, like you said, you hadn't even re- realized before. Yeah, yeah. We get so caught up with the busyness of life that, that just to pause and not only pause in the moment, but, but take that more macro pause too. Yeah. Well, I want to be mindful of time. We're nearing the end. We're, I'm so grateful. I'll speak Tucker. I'm just so grateful too, because you've given us a lot of things to think about. Um, we always like to end the conversation with call to action pieces. 
So as students are listening, maybe faculty, staff, whoever it might be, what are some calls to action that you might have or takeaways that you want people to leave from um, or leave with from this conversation? Yeah. So I would say, you know, on the community theme that, that we had great conversations about, my call to action would be to create those safe spaces in your lives to form that intentional community. Mm. So to, to be intentional about community, to create safe spaces and and to, to make people feel known and cared for. I think um, that's a call to action. I would say the other call to action is what we ended with. Let's all do a little more examining, Yeah, right? Let's take some time out of our busy days and, and try to build it in. And, and uh, you know, lots of studies say that this is very important to living a purposeful life. That would be my calls of action. Cool. Thank you again. This was Gabby. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.